Ryuichi Sakamoto, Coda, a new film about the legendary Oscar-winning composer, social activist, actor, and electropop pioneer, opens exclusively at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, July 6th. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. One of the most anticipated films of the summer is Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You, which also was a hot ticket at its shutout Sundance premiere in January. I, for one, found the movie virtually unrecognizable from reports out of Sundance, where most people seem to find it indescribably nuts. That's why Film Comment is very happy to have a beautiful, insightful essay on the film in our new issue by Ina Diane Archer. Ina writes about the multiple layers of satire and truth in Sorry to Bother You, which might be the most funny and the most disturbing movie of the season. Ina and I sat down together to talk about the film and her essay last week at the height of a boiling New York summer. Here's our conversation, but also don't forget about our special film comment talk on July 17th, a live event with Boots Riley and Questlove in person at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. We're here to talk about Sorry to Bother You, which is featured in our new issue, which has just come out. You may be holding it in your hands. And in our new issue, we have uh, the writer of the feature is uh, Ina Archer, who is a regular contributor to Film Comment, and uh, pleased to have her here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to, I won't say we're going to try to make sense of the movie because the movie makes almost too much sense and some nonsense, uh, all sorts of sense, I think. And it also has, a, a, I would say, a fair lot of anticipation for the size of the movie, you know, it's, I think, and it's coming out, I want to say, July 6th, so in a couple of days. And we'll also be having a talk with Boots Riley, the director, later in the month. Well, first, could you just tell us a bit about I don't know you're, what what this what the movie's like, what it's about. I guess let's start with what it's about, so we have okay. some, some ground. It's about, and we, I just had a conversation with someone the other day about synopsis. I was kind of like, you know, that's the hardest part for me. True. That's the part I hate. And he was like, the the point is to say what the movie's about, but but also to you know, what the actual through line of the, the movie is or what it makes you feel, which I thought was an interesting way of thinking mm -hmm. about it. So I guess it's, you know, how you end up seeing it. Yeah. But I think the plot or what happens, as it were, is that there's a, uh, a young telemarketer um, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is kind of on the down and outs. He's very insecure and he takes on a telemarketing job for a, uh, he takes on a telemarketing job that he kind of works his way into. He has a girlfriend who's an artist who he loves and admires very much because of her art. And he wants not only to be able to make money, but to be able to, to do something in the world in the way that she does. And at the telemarketing job, he finds out that he has a particular talent to speak with a white voice that helps to shoot him up the ladder of the uh, of the corporation where he gets involved with the more nefarious uh, upper management and a uh, corporation called Worried Free. Right. Um, worried, so, worried, worried Free. free. Which, <laughs> so, which immediately you know you have to yeah. worry about Worried Free. <laughs> and we'll sort of dance around a bit. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the rest of the plot, mainly because uh, it just gets even, even more... 
uh, elaborate and strange, the, the kind of corporate structure he gets into and, and what they're plotting basically. But I mean, I, you know, one thing I found really interesting about, about your, your essay is, is that on, on the one hand, the movie is kind of a familiar form. It's like the, it's the kind of like corporate sellout story in a way, you know, where someone's trying to, uh, trying to resist it, goes with it and then, you know, sees what happens because of that. And it gets separated from their friends in a way. And, um, while, while thinking they're still trying to keep their values, but it, it actually just kind of outruns that idea pretty fast. Um, and, and your essay kind of puts it in a, in a lo- longer lineage of thought, basically. It came up that it was sort of, it felt like it had kind of an Afro-surrealist. I ended up referring to it because of the surrealism, but also because the surrealism is connected to a more politicized, racialized kind of expression that I thought also was connected to earlier films by black producers that um, that go outside the realm of the uh, usual depictions of African-Americans or the uh, sometimes what I was saying was kind of restrictive ways of expressing blackness on film and that this film picks up on that, yeah. both in contemporary works like This Is America, but then also going back to earlier works like Daughters of the Dust or... Um, uh, symbiotaxoplasm uh, yeah. came up, and also actually Melvin Van Peebles came into my mind as well, just because oh, yeah. of the sort of um, the way it was made. The kind of you know I was thinking of um, Sweet Sweet Back, yeah. but um, of course now the movie that I'm really trying to think of oh is um, <laughs> is uh, Robert Downey oh, Senior's right. film, which um, apparently Boots hadn't seen, but this kind yeah. of um, corporate. Uh, attack, you know, or, or attack yeah. on a corporate structure. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah, <laughs> well, what he, what he, yeah, what he said in, in the, uh, April Wolf did the interview with him a, a couple of years where he says, he says, yes, everyone at the Sundance Labs kept asking me yeah. about that, <laughs> um, which I, I don't know, I just detected a little bit, like you know, I can come up with this myself. I don't yeah. need to have seen Putney Swope. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it was, I was hoping to kind of attach him to a lineage of films mm-hmm. rather than saying, you know, that he didn't, Oh no, sure, you know, yeah. that, you know I, yeah. I, I thought it was so interesting how it kind of connected or, or I think what's one of the things that's really fun about the film is that you can kind of see all of these different uh, connections to yeah. uh, other works. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, cause it's, yeah, it's a film that, that it's, it's like this kind of pop, you know, I'm not saying in a dismissive way, but a kind of work of pop radicalism in a way, you know, like as I understood the the Afro-surrealism, part of it is that there's a necessity for it. Like, you know, like the only way you can really get across some of the ideas is by a kind of like more adventurous form, you know, like that, that kind of jars you in some way. You know, it has to like, you know, surrealism has to speak to your dreams in a way if it's actually to get you to feel it somehow. And, and there are dreams that, and, nightmares in this movie um yeah and i think uh yeah it's because it's yeah it's the sellout it's the sellout story but it's but it's also just but not just like any you know it's it's also racial you know in in that sense because you know uh and uh it's i actually find i have trouble like slicing into it at any given point you know it's yeah yeah um because there's also like a commodification critique in there um because of the way um 
this worry-free corporation where um, it's okay. I'll, I'll finally I'll, I'll I'll get get it right out with it. It is a movie for the moment. I would say yeah. in many ways. One way, uniquely seen way, is it is for the kind of double speak moment we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where he's convinced himself that he's you know successful in this telemarketing job, and he's going with it, even though he has the cognitive dissonance in his mind that you know, the company is awful and is involved with awful things, but he's compartmentalizing, you know, for, for a lot of the movie that the same company that's responsible for like the worry-free, which is this basically, um, how do you describe the worry-free? It's, 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 it's basically come work with us for free yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'll put you in like these barracks basically. Yeah. Yeah. Volunteering to be imprisoned. Yeah. Labor. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And yeah. they put you up in a, in a fancy chandelier laden prison. Yeah, yeah, with like <laughs> IKEA color yeah. sort of, you know, bedding or something. But that seemed to me like to really capture something like that as long as you agree to it, then people can do anything to you. Do you know that sense yeah. of that that kind of false contract freedom? Like, like that made me think of like uh, what is it called? Um the, the, the contracts where people can't talk, you know, like I've signed one in the past. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's already yeah, erased yeah, your memory I know. about it. Really, was like what? Um, but just, just that sense that so long, well, they agreed to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that sense that anyone is really in total control of their circumstances through something as small as that, you know, that there isn't a system behind it. I don't know. Something about the worry-free expressed that sense that there's always a bigger system that means you're not. You don't entirely have the idealized, you know, freedom that, you know, one, one thinks. I think the worry-free is really, yeah, it's complicated as well because it's presented as a, a kind of an ideal live-work environment where you, you know, I, I one of the ads for it says, if you, uh, if you lived here, you'd be at work at now, which is, you know, sort of such an inversion of the idea of like the freedom of a of live work spaces and, you know, new kinds of, of work environments, uh, you know, when actually what you're agreeing to is a kind of being indentured. Yeah. It's um, like, well, it's a modern slavery. It's yeah. the wage, it's like <laughs> the next step up from like wage slavery, I guess, or down from wage slavery. I <laughs> and I don't think there's ever any mention about wages right. in relation to worry-free. Right. That's actually. true. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get, you get, I don't know, th- three meals and a cot. Quite literally, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a cop. And then, I mean, then and the the idea of the white white voice is fascinating because that's definitely been a kind of comic trope for a fair amount of time now, and and it is here as well, to to an extent. But but that was another thing that Yuresi really brought out. You 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 have this great quote who, that you have. Um, it's Charles Gravel, and it's the phonograph's horned mouth. Uh, we identify by means of voice. Voice is a significant. Voice contains me. I am the content of my voice. And I that was one of the first things that kind of came up for me with mm. it, just this idea of the white voice and um, how that is so much, you know, how we know each other, you know, hearing your voice and hating the way it sounds. But when I first saw the film, it, it, I was kind of interested in the fact that the dub voice was so transparently dubbed and I was kind of like is this working or not I'm not quite sure and I think that the idea that the the voice is something that is really just put on in order to move in a certain kind of way or the and to and that it's you know that we all 
are certainly all people of color, but I think in some ways all kinds of people have this other voice in order to decode switch, in order to to fit in, um, was really fascinating. And it, I think it's also kind of embedded in the film in a way that is um, it's not just the, you know, I say, was saying it's not just the deaf comedy jam nasal voice that I have right now because of my, my allergies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, um, you know, this kind of stereotypical white nasal voice and what they, what they clarify in the film is that this is a, a sort of a wish fulfillment that white people also want mm. to have this voice right. that sounds as though they don't have no cares. Right. And that that kind of comes along with the, I think, the privilege of of money, of of security, yeah. um, and that it has a certain kind of sound. Seeing the film the second time, it, other moments came up where other people have used this white voice or use another voice. So, his girlfriend Detroit has a a British voice. She's a a, a um, performance artist yeah. <laughs> and and that she speaks in that voice and so there's you know she doesn't necessarily become there's no critique made of that right but you but it complicates how you perceive Cassius's use of his voice yeah, that's true um and then when he doesn't use the voice you know and uh as he um gets invited into the realm of uh Steve Lift the owner and operator of worry free and the the person who's kind of fomenting or this yeah. um new labor force that he's right. inventing out of black bodies yes um he in a couple of scenes with Cassius he asks him to speak without his black voice or without his white voice and sort of assuming that there's a black voice that Cassius has complete access to and that is his identity, and and, and he asks him to rap basically, right, <laughs> and yeah. um, and catches his inability to rap, um, <laughs> and how he replaces it uh, with the you know just basically spewing expletives <laughs> is uh, somehow thought of being his genuine voice, and this you know yeah. going back to this voice that is is me, yeah. but in fact is as invented a voice as the the white voice that he's been using to parlay his his career. Yeah, it's another moment which which. I you know plays is like funny in the sense that it's so ridiculous because this takes place like in the in the guy's mansion and his as I remember like mostly or all white guests are are, are entertained by this kind of sh show it's what they expected it's what so it's this kind of self fulfilling you know but 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 then it's also like there's an undercurrent to it but well now what voice does he have you know because mm -hmm. you know because he, he's he has two types of fake voices basically yeah yeah, yeah. and he um, because I think right at the beginning when uh, Danny Glover as the the old dude who who advises him on <laughs> yeah, using he's so a, good just in that brief yeah scene. that little yeah. scene um, voice of wisdom he, he's you know Cash's counters with this is how I always sound that he right. doesn't you know yeah. necessarily think that he has some kind of specifically black voice right. or, yeah. and the scene in the in when he's rapping is is dark it's kind of it's yeah. he's very isolated in the scene it's true yeah yeah uh it's sort of dark um and in the uh screenplay 
Boots is really particular about Boots. I'm just going to call him Boots. (laughs) He's very particular about saying like the audience is 99% white (laughs) or in different places. Like he uses like a percentage of (laughs) how many, you know, white Uh or black or, you know, people of color. So I thought that was a funny detail. Actually, could you tell tell us a bit about more about the the, uh, screenplay? Because it's a movie that's so you know, nutty at times, you kind of forget that it was written at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so what's it like? Cause it also went through some, I guess the development and, and a screenwriter's lab, but, but how is it different or what's, what, what was your take on it? So I think there was the soundtrack first oh, that might've right. been around 2012. He mm-hmm. had done, I guess maybe five or six albums at that point. Uh, so he recorded this, sorry to bother you mm-hmm. soundtrack. And then I believe that he next did the, the, wrote the screenplay that went through McSweeney's. Oh, right, yeah. And mm-hmm. so it was an extra that was included with one of the issues. So when I was trying to track it down, I, you know, I saw it on McSweeney's. And I, I saw it on Amazon or something and, you know, ordered it, but it came without the, the supplemental oh. screenplay. So I had to keep oh, on no, searching. Okay. So <laughs> they had some in, in London, apparently. Or, <laughs> um, but this, so he wrote that it was published, um, and then he went from there into the Sundance Labs, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. Yeah. And so um, that's where he began to develop the screenplay along with a, a group of other interesting writers at the time. Were there, screen, you know, filmmakers were there. So it's kind of an interesting traje- trajectory. Yeah. And then he uh, went on to the Sundance um, directing uh, program and... Mm-hmm. That from there, that's how the movie went into production. So the screenplay, I think, really exists as a, it, it was as a filmmaker, and I think just in, as instruction, it's really interesting to look at the screenplay and see the resulting mm. film. The screenplay uh, in the beginning has a has a um, a link so that you can download the soundtrack, oh, which I think uh-huh. is very much That's you cool. know of his uh, of his uh-huh. you know community uh, feeling, so that you can actually you know he gives more points to people who oh, listen cool. to the soundtrack while they're reading the screenplay. Oh, wow. okay. So <laughs> I, you know, I definitely tried to, to yeah. do that. Um, Part of why the movie also works is is the detail, which I guess is in the screenplay of like production design and and that sort of thing. Is that is that something that he he also ha- had at the screenplay level, or is it? Yeah, yeah, I would say you know the the earrings and I, you know I think a little bit of it mm-hmm. I might be because I'd already seen what right. the objects actually look like, but right. they are pretty much described. So there's a his uncle Sergio has a locket that actually becomes a uh, that's actually where he keeps his diabetes medication oh. <laughs> that's described pretty intricately yeah. all of tessa tom uh thompson's uh is it thompson Tom- thompson thompson's, thompson, yeah. um detroit who plays detroit all of her earrings are described you know and they're there's clearly some relationship to what the two earrings say. They have big, bold letters, mm-hmm. you know, graphic letters that spell out kill, 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 or, um, yeah. you know, tell Homeland Security. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very curious about how the uh, swag that you can buy oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of these different objects, which I imagine will be popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's like a little consumerism coming right, in there. Right, it all comes <laughs> circle, yeah. And these things about the, you know, like what percentage of people in the crowd. Um, right. I think there's characters that were, have been condensed that oh, okay. are in the um, in the screenplay. And there's a lot more detail about the denouement 
I think. And maybe it's just be from reading it mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, in screen time it, it, it occurs more quickly, but yeah. I think it's, it's, I think at least for one viewing that some of those details might've, might've helped to make the, mm-hmm. the plot less or, or make the finale less shocking, which maybe you don't uh-huh. want it to be right, or, or shocking or surprising or yeah. strange. The descriptions are very simple in some ways, mm. um, but I see from now seeing pictures of Boots Riley and all that the mm-hmm. the colors and the plaid and those other oh, kinds yeah. of details are very much like his style. Yeah. So uh-huh. uh, I think that that also kind of gets funneled oh, no. through and comes out into the production design. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the, the way the, the finale of, of the of the film, just because you know I don't think it's like a perfect film. You know, the last fourth or f- fifth, it does feel like it kind of wraps up, <laughs> and yeah. it is maybe more. Sh- I mean, th- there's a definite shock and like and, and a shock to it, but it also somehow feels like it wraps up in a way that almost a little bit undermines some of its iconoclasm or something just because the way the way it wraps up is, is a bit more conventional and it, only in the sense that it kind of has a I don't want to say a gotcha conventionality but there's kind of a gotcha convention it has a bit at, at, at the end but I mean but, but I, I mean up up through through the ending there there are other moments where he's pulling the rug out from under you and that that I that really feel pretty that's part of why I was curious about the screenplay because you know they they feel really pointed the way because for example where he's living which is a garage apartment <laughs> which is a, you know great gag in, in and of itself the way they set it up from from the uncle with with di- diabetes um played by terry terry cruz right yeah uh, who's great yeah. <laughs> i wish he had been more of him actually yeah yeah that, I'm, yeah their whole backstory i'm sure um but he's in there so you know, at one point, there's a scene where they're in the garage. I'll, I'll talk about it vaguely because it's a fun surprise. And the garage door just flies open. <laughs> and, you know, what you thought was just a room suddenly opens up in this whole world, the rest of the world. Um, and that's something that kind of keeps happening in the movie, I feel like. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. I it's, um, I mean, the way, the other thing that's described really well, or... Or I didn't realize this was would be the way you would necessarily describe these kind of transitions in a screenplay. Um, but people uh, transition from spaces to spaces in a, this dreamlike way, yeah. where you kind of you're one place and then you're another place. Yeah. And I think it gives the film some playfulness. Yeah. That that I think gets retained to the end of the film. But I think what. But I think. It also loses a little bit of the darkness mm-hmm. to to it. I you know so I might be skipping back to something that you were saying before, but um, that it that it kind of moves so swiftly, yeah. and where these places where you're kind of whoa wait what happened and yeah, yeah. you know up and the woes get bigger and bigger <laughs> as yes, you go along. And then some of them are just weird. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of the club where he goes oh, right. into yeah. the other room and I'm, yeah. yeah and that's kind of described in the screenplay oh, yeah. and it's still it's just like okay yeah <laughs> right yeah it's a fun it's a funny little like it's it's like a little almost like monty pythonish little bit mm-hmm. of absurdism there they i mean it, you know it's just it's what is it it's just like it's a club that turns out to be really cra- crowded and, yeah <laughs> and it becomes a bit of physical comedy which is great that you know, yeah he's just sitting there but i guess it also is related because he there's a in the club in the tiny club there's a, a vip room <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. even, yeah, tinier. Yeah. even tinier and he's 
you know, and his friend uh, has known that the the <laughs> VIP room is there, and he's been in there. So, yeah. um, so Cassius wants to go in there. He goes in. It's completely this bumbling little comic <laughs> moment, and then he comes back out. Yeah. But you know, I'm thinking that it also kind of talks about how he wants to go into yeah. other places. That yeah. is curiosity about That's kind true, of climbing yeah. up in the world, or you know, but that he's not necessarily committed to it. It's, right. You know, he keeps that's coming back to his friends. So yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, um, and 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 his, his friends are another interesting element of of uh, the, the 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 story. Just I mean, because he because um, because you know a new, a new friend he makes at work is this labor organizer mm-hmm. played by uh, Stephen Yoon. Stephen Yoon, yeah. Stephen Yoon, yeah. Uh, who I guess is. I don't, not a big, I don't really watch Walking Dead, but he was a big character. On yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I am not either. My, okay, I know my yeah. family is going to oh, yeah. be upset because they, <laughs> they watch it oh, know, really? religiously. So Yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe he has like an, there's an extra something going on there. Because all the casting, which is another thing you point out, has something going, going on with it. Yeah, they seem to come from really interesting backgrounds. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield in, in the biggest way with yeah. his relationship to Jordan Peele and, uh, and to Get Out, yeah. his role in Atlanta. Tessa Thompson is in uh, Dear White People um, and Omari Hardwick. And some of these I'm saying like, yeah, he's in this and that. And I haven't <laughs> seen them, but oh, yeah. certainly in talking to um, friends who are fans of the different shows, when I talk about the people who are in the movie, yeah. they're, you know, it it rings, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it kind of rings out for them in different ways. Yeah. 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 And, the, and uh, another one that comes to mind is Army Hammer, who plays yeah. the, the mogul <laughs> as one of the Winklevoss twins in the Facebook, you know, in the, the social network, the Facebook movie, yeah. aka the Facebook movie. Yes. Uh, and he and here he's he's like this kind of basically coked up version <laughs> of, you know, this the Silicon Valley mogul. Um, yeah. yeah, completely. Yeah. I didn't I didn't put it in the article, but I often have times thinking of Army Hammer as a single person. Like I still oh. <laughs> think he's twins, yeah, you know, and no, I'm just yeah. like, oh yeah, that twin. And it's like, no, he's not a twin. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, part of it, yeah, part of it's just this crazy, just kind of Aryan sort of, yeah, <laughs> you know, beauty you could just duplicate, yeah, you know, mass produce somehow, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, a little, a little scary uh, yeah. character in, in there too. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's, he's a scary character in the movie because he's very matter of fact and brosy about the exploitation that his his company is like putting, yeah. putting into action. It's kind of like I'm doing, you know, you a favor. Exactly. Yeah. 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 More of that kind of double speak of uh, you know who's who's benefiting. The labor organizer mm-hmm. played by Stephen Yoon. It's very explicit. It's not like even in the movie. It's not like a. a a corporate sellout plot where the presence of like labor is like implied. It's like, there's actually a guy and it's actually in the plot. Stephen Yoon's character who is organizes the office Mm -hmm. to rise up (laughs) against, um, their, you know, their really skeezy kind of bosses they have. Um, and I don't know. I just found that kind of interesting too. And that kind of becomes like a whole popular protest revolt. He just does, he kind of does a lot with, with every little step to kind of, I don't know, plug in to, to culture somehow. And, yeah. yeah, it looks kind of, it looks like popular culture works, um, <laughs> but the, yeah. the popular culture that he's showing is very specifically labor-based and yeah. the buildup of the, the protest and, uh, and how it gets, it sort of spreads out to other labor. Yeah. 
that is what's happening, but it's not necessarily about that. Like, no, you don't, that's right. yeah, yeah. he doesn't spend time sort of talking about how they're organizing and stuff. Right. It's just like, we're doing this and it's just a yeah. given. Yeah. And I guess for people who have been more familiar with Boots Riley than I was when, before I started with this film, that that probably is, feels second nature, like, right. you know, for the kind of work that he produces. But in listening to his music, it it also you know feels very dancey and <laughs> uh, fun, and um, not to say that you know uh, labor issues and and politics yeah. aren't fun, or right. but they're you know you realize what you're sort of bopping along to is <laughs> is um, a very consistent idea about socialism about yeah. you know work cold arms a bit yeah, well. yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean the, the the musical aspect is something that i uh not just his own uh, uh you know career it also seems part of the movie somehow and that uh, also you write about in the article that the sense that the movie it is something you kind of have to see twice you know and and you compare it to rap lyrics in that sense and and th there is something like i'm not I will never claim to be like a you know great like rapper hip hop scholar, but just in the sense of the vividness and the density of like imagery, it kind of reminded me of like you know hip hop lyrics just in, in the movie, even like transitions and the way things, the way that it can be both funny and dark at the same time in mm -hmm. terms of the reality it's describing. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, definitely. I think it um, this you know that you kind of memorize things that you, mm -hmm. and but I hadn't thought about the you know the, just the rhythm of the movie and listening to Boots Riley and kind of the the way a song builds up mm. um, the kind of rhyming that happens in it yeah. and you know sort of a tone that goes through and the, one of the things that I you know I when I see the movie again I realize that after when I was writing the article that I there was a sense of music but I didn't know specifically what the music was going mm. through the the film, I, I had, you know, I had impressions of what it was during the credits. I could see different things, um, but it's woven in there. I think so seamlessly that yeah, it doesn't read like a music video, say, where no, you yeah. feel like there's images that are kind of stuck to yeah. to the music, or that the music is, you know, sort of leading the 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 picture. It, it yeah, it was very. I think very seamless in that way. Yeah, I really agree. I mean, and and especially the, some of the things we described might sound like transitions in a music video. You know, these kind of playful transitions from scenes that jump in time and space because the only continuity is the music. It's not like that. It's mm -hmm. it has its own kind of inner inner logic or surreal logic to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 some of the music, yeah, it's so seamless and interesting. It's, there's this one like recurring. I guess it's a sample, I don't know, of like a woman's voice doing kind of like going up and down. Mm -hmm. And that's used. And just that very subtly kind of adds this, sets you off balance. It's, it's just, it surprised me every time I'd hear it and prepared mm -hmm. me to be surprised somehow. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't, I, yeah, I couldn't really, I should check the credits. And Yeah, I, and I don't, I'm wondering now if it comes from the, the soundtrack. Because uh, there is some, uh -huh. there's a sample in there that's where they're singing, where there's a woman singing about Cassius Green. There's a, a, a kind of a uh -huh. more melodic part that goes along with some of the, uh -huh. um, with some of the more rap heavy yeah. pieces. There the, uh, on the soundtrack, they're all very sort of old school, kind of uh -huh. you know, popish. But yeah, it's not like. Um, 
yeah, look at my failure as a oh. <laughs> as a rap historian. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll be very yeah. clear, but it's there's not kind of this, you know, what you I think would associate with kind of West Coast. Right. So you know, mm-hmm. it it has a much more I think old school feeling to it, which I I think yeah. goes along with Boots yeah. kind of oh, interest true, yeah. in this. Uh, uh-huh older work and also coming from a, a different a little bit different period a different yeah, yeah different generation i guess a bit yeah. too yeah yeah it's uh coloratura is that what i'm thinking of is maybe that a, yeah kind know. of uh, <laughs> uh tri- truly uh, yeah. yeah um actually this might be a good time to take a break uh so we'll be right back after this message ryuichi sakamoto has scored some of the greatest films by directors like brian de palma bernardo bertolucci and Alejandro Gonzalez in Uritu. The acclaimed new documentary, Ryuichi Sakamoto Koda, traces the composer's career and illuminates the creative process behind his latest masterpiece. Presented by MUBI, Koda opens July 6th at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, featuring live Q&As with Sakamoto after select screenings. Plus, don't miss a one-time-only event with Laurie Anderson in conversation with Sakamoto on Sunday, July 15th. Tickets available now at filmlink.org slash coda. And we are back. You know, one thing that strikes me about the movie is, is just kind of that it exists at all <laughs> um, and that it's how resourceful it is because, you know, he's, he obviously has a big following in, in music, uh, but he's still a first-time filmmaker. Um, Although he did train in filmmaking or, or that he went to school for filmmaking. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So this is, but this is his first feature, I think. And, but I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. He, the almost the way it's put together, you don't necessarily feel that just because it has such a um, energy to it, and so it feels confident in that way. With that's that's kind of the nice side benefit of surprises. You know, yeah. you, you're getting so surprised you might not see things. But maybe toward the end, like we were talking, there might talking before, there might be some little seems showing a little bit or I don't know. As you say, it, it has the benefits of a, a first time filmmaker and its energy. Um, maybe there were some confinements as far as his, how the film was funded, you know, that it comes from, he had funders and, and uh, was coming through a Sundance lab. So supported in that way, yeah. as opposed to being, you know, a, a more, a higher, a higher budget, more commercialized mm-hmm. kind of film, which would, you know, which wouldn't make sense, I think, with this film. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah. And so that maybe that's why there and there might be a, a little bit of a rush to the finish, or not right. a rush to the finish, but that it, um, yeah, that it sense. kind of dives there uh, pretty quickly. But I think yeah. I like that the, the the freedom of that. Yeah. Um, but. I do. I do think that has something to do with the structure of the film, and I and I would hope in his next film <laughs> that that same kind of freedom, the, the the energy of the film would be the same, or yeah. but to have even more resource, be even more resourceful, or maybe yeah. that he'll have more resources and won't have yeah. to be quite as resourceful as he was in the film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because um, I think he really makes use of. Um, Spaces, the mise en scène, all the design, you know, I, the um, the location yeah. of Oakland, which you know, I feel like I'm getting to know, even though I've mm-hmm. I've never been there. But I think mm-hmm. that that's a really is very solid in the film, and maybe yeah. even something that gets assumed of the viewer that yeah. we might know that 
Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe little gaps in the plot might come from just maybe that he's addressing an audience that might be more familiar with the whole right. environs yeah. of that place, you know. No, it's true. I mean, maybe, uh, I mean, he seems to be pretty well positioned. The movie hasn't come out already, but we're already yeah. charting his career for him. <laughs> Boots, Boots Riley, you, can, you know, these are, these are notes, you know, we're yes. just putting together. You haven't made the next movie yet, but. Um, but get started. But get started, yeah, yeah. Um, but I imagine that he he should be able to get together a, another film. And for some reason, I was just thinking about Get Out again, just mm-hmm. in terms of another film that came from out of out of like an established production apparatus in terms of like Universal mm-hmm. was this, a studio behind that. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess it was a Bloomhouse production. The guy who does these low budget, high freedom, you know, horror right. horror budgets, um, and in this case. Um, but there was still a chance that that movie could have turned out, you know, kind of formulaic, just in that vague way that things that pass through the industry seem to to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you could worry that that would happen too, just because, you know, I guess it's kind of a cliche about the Sundance Labs that they kind of pre-digest a movie for you <laughs> and have to have these set beats. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I, I didn't. I didn't feel that in in the film, except maybe a bit in 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 in, in the end. But uh, it's but it still comes out um, still comes out with its kind of freak freakishness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> preserved, <laughs> um, and it has this distributor behind it, A twenty four, who is just a marketing machine, and uh, obviously knows how to place place a film and present a film. You know, and it's gotten. Press coverage, you know, got like a making of New York Times Magazine article about it, which is, seems kind of unusual for such a kind of out there movie. Yeah, yeah. It's I I haven't seen them yet, but I guess there's they do a whole like wallpapering of posters of that really graphic oh. poster for Sorry to Bother You. Oh, um, wait. I, oh, I yeah, I haven't seen one yet, but I oh, guess okay. there's. I think there's one in Williamsburg, apparently, oh, and they've okay. uh, definitely had them, I guess, in Oakland. Yeah. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. huh. <laughs> um, and I just think the staying true to the kind of graphic design of the whole movie, yeah. the, you know, seeing that for, I was already confused when it started. And then uh, right. there's this big title that comes down, the Sorry to Bother You title, Her Earrings, um, but also there's a whole animation section yeah uh, like a claymation yeah that's really that's that's really good to mention um odd (laughs) yeah it almost seems like a a parody of a certain kind of (laughs) filmmaking uh yeah well the the name of the director is a i remember it's a play on michelle gondry right 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 (laughs) it's like michelle mondry or something like that um yeah which is funny (laughs) Uh, Michel Gondry, recent invitee to the Academy of uh, Motion Picture oh, Arts. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> He's kind of surprised. I thought it would have happened by by now, but yeah. uh, I, I don't know. The um, interesting, yeah, it's very interesting. I will wander that's off a whole that. other, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> subject. But yeah, I mean, it's. I'm kind of interested, uh, you know, how strange it'll seem to people yeah. and what'll seem strange. And sometimes when a movie's called crazy, that's kind of shorthand for it's crazy but I'm not necessarily actually engaging with what it's well, saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a hands-off Yeah, crazy. I can't do crazy right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it's like, it's fun, it's crazy, but like if, if, you, like if you're really listening to the movie, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 
like it's really it's as crazy as things actually are right at this moment yeah very so, true. Yeah. yeah it's very it's a kind of yeah i i think that maybe that's what's dark about the the film yeah. is that you you you're kind of like oh yeah but it's, it's <laughs> you know it's it's fun and it's very well i've used the word playful and all of that before but i think when you walk out of the film you're kind of like whoa but yeah. you but I, I hope that viewers don't go away just thinking about, oh, that was so crazy and not right. really connect to what yeah. it is that's the problem that the film is is bringing yeah. up, I think, really subtly in a lot of ways, considering yeah. that, you know, he's uh, so out front yeah. in some ways. Uh, he's very hopeful, mm. I think, it, yeah. even in the midst of a, 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 a film that's maybe not hopeful that the... the, yeah. the uh, do you know is no, perhaps yeah, not? It's, it's yeah, perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it because it, it, yeah, it's a really it's 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 describing a kind of I don't you know I don't want to sound like <laughs> like a ranting but it, you know it's it's describing a certain like business machine that yeah the commodification and specifically yeah how it seems to play up some of the worst things that are happening in society and then get like reified in the business practices yeah, yeah. and I and it could. You know, I think it doesn't end up being a movie that becomes exactly that. You know, right. these films that are trying to you know, speak out about or, or try to talk about commodification and yeah. they just end up being more of the same in yeah. some sense or get, or get sort of derailed in that process so that the, that, that message gets diffused. Yeah. And, and I think Get Out was really good about yeah. somehow holding on to that, yeah. to that, through line of not, you know, softening the yeah. the real uh, issue that the the film is bringing up. Yeah. While still, you know, while not leaving you devastated when you leave. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You have to be able to get up and do something. <laughs> yeah. <afterwards>. Yeah. <laughs> if it just you can't just be lying on the floor afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, you know, it sounds like his, his music in a way, which is that the movie is kind of danceable <laughs> let's yeah. say you know but but there's definitely like a yeah a lot of messages in there well this this movie i think is, is slowly kind of like uh um stumping us with with its yeah. like yeah, after, after a while it but it's 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 really a movie also um yeah you have to see maybe even see a couple of times and also in a theater right i think so yeah. definitely because and yeah. he likes a oh, yeah, theatrical yeah. experience um yeah. and yeah i think that a sort of communal uh, environment, I think, will add to the film yeah. a lot. So, yeah. and it's see, see it big, and it's still like it's so yeah. just you know it's beautiful. I I think it's yeah. it, and that part of it is really yeah also yeah. very seductive. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true, and yeah. and also yeah, just also very funny. You know, like I it, it, idiocracy came to mind a couple of times. Oh you yeah, know, and, and, and this is you know is funny in, in, in many many similar ways i think but yeah with with that bit of an edge and also so people can can talk about it you know yeah. and, and and trade definitely. you know ideas about yeah, it definitely. and and kind of treat chase uh symbols or whatever yeah. and just you know parse it and and have yeah. that fun part to it i yeah. think uh fun part also but i think that people want to engage mm. in that way with uh yeah. with artworks and that was something that i also feel like is a yeah. trajectory that the film follows in something that's happening currently mm. where social media people uh, are 
breaking down maybe even too much you know in, <laughs> like over interpreting yeah. but i think the desire to yeah. to interpret and engage uh with artworks and and yeah. have that you know play out into how we live our lives and what's yeah. going on is really productive and you know anything that uh, yeah. fires that off i think is really great yeah it gives it another another life uh, yeah um yeah which I, I just have to say makes it kind of funny that there's this whole i guess a bit like get out there's that there's this whole twist or something at the end that you don't talk about so i don't know even the movie there's still something we're not talking about yeah. <laughs> so, so i don't know if that's whole part of the grand plan as well but it's working um, I kind of half think that, it, you know, we should just describe it now and then I'll just ask them to bleep it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like a Omari Hardwick yeah, character exactly. name. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know if we have the bleeping technology. I'll have to see. But uh, I guess we can kind of wind down and, you know, for our traditional ending, we, we always talk about the most recent movie that, that we saw. Um, and uh, I always blank for a second. I hope that you oh, have one yeah, yeah, more. I forgot about, uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, I'll just say the last thing that I watched, which yeah. was uh, the Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, wow! Okay. <laughs> and I and you know, speaking of not telling, you know, the the thing oh, that we're right. not talking about, as many times as I've seen that movie, I can never remember who did it, you know, who done it. So <laughs> I love movies like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then just getting towards the end, I'm like, wait, no, yes, no. And so yeah, it it was fabulous as always. It makes me homesick for New York in the seventies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so. um, I don't want to cheat, but for some reason, the one I re remember most vividly is actually The Changeling, which I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, which which I wrote a little about, a bit mm -hmm. about in, in the issue. That's why it's kind of kind of cheating. Oh, well, I guess it's technically uh, Kill Baby Kill, which is the most... But, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but I didn't love that. And actually, they go together in a way because they the, these kind of child hauntings. Yeah, yeah. Basically. But yeah, The Changeling, um, you know... George C. Scott's, you know, kind of serious actor in a horror movie role. Mm -hmm. Just this lumbering kind of grief, you know, body of grief, you know, yeah. uh, that he's able to do. Um, uh, so he's really powerful for, for that, you know. Part of it's kind of just a haunted house movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, but then you just really feel that, like, just this feeling of not being able to escape a deep sadness. Okay. Oh, yeah. Whether I'm... it's yours or someone else's, you just... Mm -hmm. I know, that's something the movie really get, gets across. And yeah, with, good horror. Yeah, yeah exactly. That is, yeah, that's what it does. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that brings us to a close. Um, thank you, Ina, so much. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed writing about this yes, movie and getting a chance to see it. So thank you. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. And please do pick up a copy of our July-August issue, uh, which has this feature in it. I think, uh, you know, in the interest of wetting your appetite, we'll only be posting an excerpt. So you should pick up the print copy. Um, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.